It just really must have been cold there in the shadow. To never have sunlight on your face. Content to let me shine, that's your way. They're always walking a step behind. So you're really the one with all the glory. You're the one with all the strength. A beautiful face without a name for so long. A beautiful smile to hide the pain. Did you ever know that you're my hero? everything I would like it to be. I can fly higher than an eagle. Thank you for putting the tailwind beneath our wings, Adam. Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Our feature flags are powered by LaunchDarkly. Check them out at LaunchDarkly.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Get $100 in hosting credit at Linode.com slash Changelog. What's up, party people? I want to introduce AWS Amplify as a new sponsor here at JS Party. Amplify is a suite of tools and services that enable developers to build full-stack, serverless, and cloud-based web and mobile apps using their framework and tech of choice. Amplify is built to make front-enders successful because you can use your existing skill set to build full-stack apps that in the past would require deep knowledge around back-end, DevOps, and scalable infrastructure. Amplify simplifies all of that. Amplify gives you easy access to hosting, authentication, managed GraphQL, serverless functions, APIs, machine learning, chatbots, and storage for files like images, videos, and PDFs. Check the link in the show notes for details or head to awsamplify.info slash dsparty. Again, awsamplify.info slash dsparty. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to JS Party, a weekly celebration of JavaScript and the web. We record live on Thursdays. Join us, why don't you, on our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash changelog. Subscribe there and interact with us during the show at changelog.com slash community. Okay, let's do this. Hey, it's party time, y'all. Oh yes, it's time once again, friends. My name is Jared, and I am here for a party. I'm joined by a couple of my internet friends. Regulars are here. Nick Nisi's in the house. What's up, Nick? Oh, whoa, whoa. Hoi, hoi. Hoi, hoi to you. And we're also joined by Feroz. Feroz, it's been a minute. Always happy to have you. Yeah, good to be back on here. And we have a special guest today. We're focusing on CSS for the day and Tailwind CSS. And we have the creator of Tailwind here, Adam Wathen. Adam, what's up? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to have you for sure. So the way I like to start this show out, we'll get into the nitty gritty of Tailwind and what you've been building and why people are so interested. It seems like everywhere I go on the internet these days, I see people talking about Tailwind, which is exciting, I'm sure. But I wanted to open up the panel for a question. This is not specifically for Adam, it's for any of us. Even maybe I'll answer it. No, I probably won't, (laughs) but I'll let you guys go. And the question is, why do people complain so much about CSS? It's like one of the things that you hear all the time. There's memes and jokes about CSS. There's all sorts of tooling for CSS. Uh, on our front-end feud episode, when we asked, name something that front-end devs complain about, CSS was the number three answer, which was pretty high up the list. And so it seems like it is a thing that people struggle with, complain about, etc. 
I'm just curious, why do people think that is? Who's going to bite? If you don't raise your hand, I'll call on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. All right, Faraz, thanks for biting. I think the number one reason is that people don't bother to learn it and they just expect to figure it out. This is also true of JavaScript. When you hear people complaining about JavaScript, oftentimes they're just winging it because it looks like another language that they may know. And, you know, it's not surprising that if you don't learn the fundamental concepts, then, you know, you're going to struggle to understand the interactions between the different parts of CSS. So that's my number one reason, I think, why people are hating on it. Mm -hmm. I think that might be on point. There might be more to it as well. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, I think that maybe it's because there's no real, like when you're just learning to to use it, there's no real constraints around it. And it's more of like a, a design eye that you need. Mm -hmm. And so like you can, you, you have this language and you can make your, your content look like anything. And there's no, like without those constraints there, I think that it's hard to, to focus that. And then you don't spend a lot of time thinking about it and it just kind of, kind of cascades from there. Huh? Cause it's a sketchy. <laughs> Get it? Uh, huh. yeah. Okay. See what you did there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I like that. So it's people don't learn it. It's also very general or very free. You can do almost anything with it, and so it's hard to to focus in. Adam, what are your thoughts? I got a few. I think one of the things is that it's actually really hard uh, to get like really good at CSS. I think HTML is like funnily similar to it's like one of these things that I think everybody knows a, a bit of, but there's actually not a huge number of people who invest that much time and effort into becoming the real experts in it the way that they do with JavaScript or other things. You know, I think a lot of people, they sort of like start with HTML and CSS, get into JavaScript, and then they feel like they sort of graduated to JavaScript from there. And like, they don't level up their CSS and HTML sort of knowledge the same way they do, because in some ways it's not as like, exciting because it feels like the potential for creating crazy stuff just isn't really there the same way that it is uh, with JavaScript. So I think that's one thing. I think another mm -hmm. is that even though like as a language, simple isn't the right word, but like learning the language is different from like learning how to like apply it at in a maintainable code base and come up with like a system for writing CSS that feels like it scales with your application and that you can go back and maintain it. And there's been so many sort of competing philosophies for doing that over the years that it feels like there's no one true answer. You know what I mean? Like we get things like bootstrap that come out or tailwind or, or any framework. It feels like it's trying to be like the rails for CSS as rails is to Ruby. You know, it's like trying to provide some conventions and like happy paths and best practices and stuff. And uh, I think people are craving that a lot in the CSS world. I think the other thing is that it, it hasn't been until like, somewhat recently that we've gotten like the tools that we need in CSS to write things in a way that where it's even possible for them to be maintainable. Like before Flexbox, it was basically impossible to describe a lot of the layout stuff that we had to do in any sort of like declarative way. There was always just like magic, like hard coded numbers to make like this height over here, match this thing over here, because you had like even just that simple pattern that you see all the time where it's like a bar with like a thing on the left and then a thing on the right. Like that's so trivial to do in Flexbox in a way where if one of those gets bigger, like the container gets bigger. But if you do that back in the day when we had to use floats for things and maybe the thing on the right was like floated right, if that thing got bigger because the it was user submitted content and the text wrapped or something, well now like the container isn't going to grow unless like you've, you know, like there was just like all sorts of, it was hard to like, connect things in a way where they actually were built in such a way that they were related to each other and not just like borderline absolute positioned on the screen. Right. So um, I think like the tooling and the features and stuff that CSS includes now is a lot better in that regard. So I think it's a lot easier to build uh, more resilient user interfaces now, but I think it still carries around a lot of that bad reputation from um, before some of the tools that we have now were available. Yeah. Yeah. The platform has gotten a lot more complicated as well, right? Underneath it, more powerful, but more complicated because, you know, in, in the bad old days, you know, you could, maybe it was the good old days, you could just set a fixed width and be done, right? Like that's a thing that you could do. Now you just can't do that anymore because it won't work on all these different platforms. So our, our, the web platform has to live and breathe and work right in more places. And that's a great thing for the platform and for the users. But when it comes to time to implement that, there's just a lot more to do to do it well. One other thing too is a lot of the, the early parts of CSS were geared around textual documents and people were using 
those features to do more complicated layouts that, you know, arguably weren't, you know, the purpose of those constructs. So things like floats were meant for like text wrapping around, you know, or an image, you know, putting an image over to the left and letting text wrap around it. And, you know, that's kind of why I think the hacks like ClearFix and all the other stuff that people might have might have done back then were required. And so I think um, I think that's partially why CSS got like a, a reputation for being difficult. And if you were maybe learning it from scratch today, using the newer primitives, you wouldn't have as much trouble or as, as you know, it's not as bad as people make it out to be. Um, but yeah, I think part of that is just using the tool for more than it was originally intended to be used for. And so it's taken a while for this for the spec to sort of catch up to what people want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it's it just really must have been cold there in the shadow for CSS and, and the tooling around it. And um, yeah, it, just in the shadow of, of JavaScript and, and HTML. That's true. I was going to say there's like an inside out problem too, where it's easy to conflate your frustration with the technology when your actual frustration is your lack of design skills. Now I'm just speaking personally, right? Like I can get mad at the tool that I'm using. Sometimes the, Sometimes you know what you want to design and implementing it with this tool is difficult for whatever reason. And so then you get frustrated on that side. But then on the other side of the equation, you don't know what you want to design or you're struggling with the actual design decisions and there's nobody to take that out on but yourself or the tool that you're using to do the design. And so it's easy to use it as kind of a scapegoat. CSS has to be flexible enough to to support you know any kind of design that you want to do when when you know you as a developer might just be interested in like building an app that looks you know like ninety percent of other apps out there, so that a lot of the elements that you might want to include in your app are sort of basic component type things, or um, you know like I want to stick you know border radius on this thing, and I want you know there's probably like four or five different border radius sizes that I I might want to use, but CSS can't build in you know constructs at that level of granularity because it needs to be flexible enough for like a lot more than that, and so if you're just trying to get stuff done, it actually you know is is helpful to have more constraints and to, you know, to save you from shooting yourself in the foot if you aren't the best designer. And so I think that's kind of where Tailwind comes in. Yeah. So Adam, it's a good primer for you to hop into Tailwind and why you started it in the first place, because there's lots of frameworks out there. You mentioned a few of them. Some are popular, some are less popular. There's different approaches. One of the things that you find often with like a bootstrap or a foundation is you start to have websites that all look somewhat similar, or at least widgets and components where you're like, oh, this is a bootstrap site. And so that's one of the complaints with frameworks. But what were your thoughts around frameworks? Whenever you're like, I'm going to start something brand new, surely you're not happy with what's currently available. So where were you when you decided Tailwind? Yeah, so um, I can tell the whole story. Hopefully, I could try to do it in the shortest possible way. But the origin story is really just like, I, I was a Bootstrap fan for years and years and years. And I'm still a, a big fan of the project and the people involved. And uh, I've always looked up to that team for, for a long time. And I was using Bootstrap for everything in like the Bootstrap three days. And then when Bootstrap 4 came out, they had they were moving from less to SaaS, which I think made sense at the time because SaaS had just kind of established itself as like the winner, you know, in the CSS preprocessor space, I think. But I just like really had a soft spot in my heart for less over SaaS. There's a bunch of little differences in how it worked that really appealed to me more. Uh, and one of them was like the fact that in less classes could be used as mixins. Um, and this is something that's carried through all the way to Tailwind now with like our add apply feature is based on what you used to be able to do in less. So when Bootstrap made the switch to SaaS, I had to decide like, okay, am I either going to move to SaaS or am I going to just like try and write my CSS from scratch? And I was working on a new side project with Steve, who's like my partner at Tailwind Labs. And um, I decided, uh, let's just try and like do all the CSS from scratch on this project and put together a little kind of toolkit for ourselves. So it was never any like uh, intention to build a framework from the beginning. We were just kind of writing the CSS for one particular project. And I kind of built everything I needed from scratch, uh, very bootstrap inspired and sort of like the naming approach for classes and stuff like that. But as I started trying to like carry this set of files around with me from like abandoned side project A to abandoned side project B to abandoned side project C, <laughs> I would find myself like, changing little things about it every time, right? Like, okay, well, the buttons need to look different in this project or different in this project. But there was little utilities like the ones that Bootstrap even had at the time for like text alignment or margin or padding or whatever that just like stayed stable from project to project. Those are like the only things that like outlived 
one project. So I found like this set of CSS files I was dragging around from project to project started to be more like utility focused and less um, focused on like button classes and form inputs and stuff like that. And I was like really enjoying sort of working this way and do, and building out entire interfaces using like utility classes instead of um, using like component classes and stuff. And around this time is when I started to like learn that other people had created tools like this too that I had never seen. And um, if I had seen, probably would have dismissed because at first glance, it just like looks like such a terrible idea. So like um, my friend David Hempill had made a CSS framework called Beard CSS that was like the same sort of thing. And there was mm-hmm. um, tachyons and like base CSS. And um, I think like Ted had like shed CSS. There's like all these different things that they all look terrible, just like Tailwind looks. But I, I found that I had just sort of like landed in the same place that a lot of these other people had that had built some of these other frameworks and realized that this is actually kind of a fun way to work. So around that time, a friend of mine, Jonathan Renink, uh, who worked with me early on Tailwind CSS, and this is kind of like where we started working on it together, mentioned to me that he was about to start doing a redesign of uh, the SaaS app that he maintains. And wanted to know more about how I'd been doing CSS stuff lately. Um, and I told him I'm doing this this way. And he's like, that looks ridiculous, but I trust you. So I want to try it. So he tried it out and he was like, this is awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then we kind of like worked together to figure out how can we like, because we both had just like separate copies of the, this like copy and paste framework essentially, right? That we were just like editing for our own projects. So him using it on his project and me using it on the projects me and Steve were working on was like the impetus for trying to figure out how can we extract like a shared core and create something where there's like one source of truth that we're both leveraging in some way. And that's when we just started working on trying to extract it into something that could be like installed as a dependency for someone essentially. So um, we just kind of hashed that out together, trying to make sure that like, okay, well, I want to add this opinion. Is that compatible with like your site? Well, no, like that that's too opinionated because of XYZ. And it's, it's like a forcing function for figuring out what is like the universal set of styles that we can provide and what level of customization and stuff do we need to be able to provide for it to be able to work, like changing your color palettes or your shadows or whatever. So that's where all Tailwind sort of customization stuff came from. And originally it was all written in less, right? Because that was the reason why I was even doing this whole thing instead of uh, just using Bootstrap. But as like the level of customization started to get more and more sophisticated, um, we outgrew the ability to do it with less because less was not designed as like a general purpose programming language. So then my friend David, who would had built like Beard CSS, suggested trying to write it in post-CSS. And I was like, what does that even mean to write a framework in post-CSS? Isn't post-CSS like a tool for adding vendor prefixes using auto prefixer? Like how, how do you, how do you take like what right. post-CSS does and like use that to make a CSS framework? And he kind of explained to me some of the tricks that people had been using where you can take like a cut, like an at rule, like a media query or like an import statement and um, you can make like custom ones using your own keywords and post CSS will parse them just fine because all it's trying to do is like parse CSS ish stuff. It's not like it has like a hard coded list of what's allowed to come after an at sign, you know? So people were doing stuff like creating custom properties, for example, like lost grid is like a post CSS plugin that adds its own prop CSS properties that when you crawl that AST with post CSS, it finds those and sort of expands them into like multiple properties or creates multiple rules from it. And that's when we realized, well, maybe we can do like an at tailwind rule. That is like a spot for tailwind to just like inject a bunch of styles generated from like some configuration once it finds that rule. So when I realized like what you could do and what the sort of tricks were for like injecting CSS that was generated elsewhere, I started porting everything over to post CSS in JavaScript where I could actually write tests and like make sure that the thing actually worked. Mm. And uh, it was awesome. So that's like how it kind of came to be. And we released the very, very, very first version on like Halloween night, 2017, I think. So a little over three years ago and people were excited about it. And uh, it's kind of started slowly growing after that. And then in 2019, I went full time working on it after we had released the refactoring UI book the a couple months before. And then since January 2019, I've been working full time on Tailwind related stuff. And now we have a team of six people, including me and Steve, all working full time on this sort of stuff. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing, which I think has uh, been awesome. And I think just 
because of the fact that most open source projects don't get to have teams of six people working on them full time. But yeah, so that's what we do every day now is work on stuff related to, uh, to Tailwind. And it's been really fun. What's up, JS Party people? Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? Well, with Raygun Error and Performance Monitoring, you have all the information you need at your fingertips to quickly find and fix errors and performance issues across your tech stack down to the line of code. Raygun makes it easy to monitor the impact of your performance improvements, quickly identify issues across web and mobile apps, and see how your code performs in the hands of your customers. This saves you time, this saves you money, and this saves your sanity. Head to Raygun.com to join thousands of customer-centric software teams who use Raygun every single day. Again, Raygun.com to give them a try with a free 14-day trial. So Adam, you mentioned it was 2017 when it first came out. How long were you working on it beforehand? Because to never have sunlight on your face for all that time, it's gotta be a while. You wanna release it, right? <laughs> yeah, so I think I started on it in maybe like April. I, I mean, depends how you look at it. I, I've been like carrying it around in some shape or form for years and years, you know? I started working on it originally on this side project called Digest that me and Steve started working on in like 2014, which was like a tool for teams to share links with each other for articles they thought were interesting. And then I used it again on, I don't know how many other side projects, at least two or three. And then I finally brought it over again for this app Kite Tail that we were working on in like the spring of 2017. And I had been like live streaming all my work on that app. You can find like, there's like probably 40 YouTube live streams. So I was just building the app from scratch all on live stream. And um, the most like common question that came up on all the live streams was like, what CSS framework is that? What CSS framework is that? Mm. And uh, th that's when I kind of realized that like, oh, I mean, I never really intended to even share it because it didn't even really occur to me that it was interesting to the general public, you know, but because I'd been working in public and everyone had been kind of asking for it, I kind of was, I thought, eh, maybe I'll just like bundle this up into like an open source thing. And originally I was just going to like release it sort of under the uh, namespace for the app, you know, almost like GitHub primer, which is like their like internal thing. That was kind of the original idea, but um, with where we ended up, it was just like, much more universal and felt like it could just be a thing with its own name. So we did that. And then of course that side project got abandoned and now I just work on the CSS framework itself. <laughs> so yeah. It's funny how that happens. And surely you could have never imagined that it would come to this. Like this is like a business now. I mean, it's a, it's an open source CSS framework and you've, you've built a business around it. Yeah. People are saying, shut up and take my money. I mean, isn't that exciting and weird? It's definitely exciting. I, um, I didn't know what I expected, I guess. Like, I didn't really intend to build a business around it. But what seemed to happen was, like, um, the CSS framework was taking off. And it felt like this is, like, the first thing. This is the the thing that I've worked on that has had, like, the highest potential for impact, you know, in terms of how many people can benefit from it and stuff. It's, like, of all the things I'd worked on, this was the thing that I'm most likely to be, like, known for. Unlike a lot of other sort of open source type tools, there are like a established sort of precedents for people making money on CSS framework related stuff. You know, like Bootstrap has a theme store, like Theme Forest is like an enormous business on its right. own, you know? Yeah. So it's like a, there's a pretty straightforward sort of path to like trying to do some sort of commercial stuff around it. So it felt like we should try to do that. And I think like the approach that we ended up taking, we've released this product called Tailwind UI, which is designed to just be like a giant directory of like examples of different UI patterns and components built with Tailwind CSS is a little bit different than like the sort of traditional theme store approach, I think, but is kind of rooted in the same sort of idea. It's like people 
who are building stuff are not always good at design and or not even always good at taking a design and converting it into like a real code. And there's history proving that people will pay for that sort of thing. So that seems like a good way to to try and fund the development of, of our open source stuff. Um, yeah. So we released that product in February of this year. And uh, that combined with like the refactoring UI book, which was also me and Steve did that together. Um, those are kind of all under the same like company, right? And those mm-hmm. two products together are sort of what pay the bills and let us work on Tailwind and work on like Headless UI, which is like another open source tool that we uh, have been working on. And and um, that's sort of, I mean, there's probably God knows how many other things that we work on too <laughs> that aren't coming to mind right now. But, uh, you know, for the most part, out of the six people that work at the company, um, 90% of the time is spent working on open source related stuff. I think we only really like Steve and one other person spend the bulk of their time working on the, on the paid stuff. So it's really cool to be able to like sort of commercialize it in a sense without sort of like foregoing work on the thing that like got us here in favor of like working on all the commercial stuff. Cause I think that's always like the risk, you know, everyone always says like when you're building an open source tool, the way you should monetize is by building some like commercial business around it. But, and then, uh, you can work on the open source stuff using the money from that. But like, that's sort of like presuming that you're going to be able to invent some business that only takes like 15% of your time, but pays you a full-time salary somehow to like work on all the open source stuff. Like they make it sound a little easier than it it really is. You know what I mean? Like Um, most of the time. Yeah. Like most, yeah. Like (laughs) you still can only do open source on evenings and weekends. Cause like the rest of your time is like struggling to make this real business actually work. So I'm really fortunate to be in a position where like we actually have found a way to, to spend a lot of time on the open source stuff or, or to at least like have the margins to be able to invest in hiring people that can focus entirely on the open source stuff, because that's what feeds the commercial stuff anyways. Right. Like it's, it's easy. It would be easy in our situation to sort of forget like what got us here. And, and I think investing just in growing the framework has been like the most effective thing we've been able to do for growing the business too. So it's very, uh, just like, it just all kind of works, you know, which has been great. So, yeah, that's great. I've, I've looked at that refactoring UI book and gone through it, uh, spent a lot of time going through it. And it's, I really like that it, like, it, it seems to tie back a lot to like tailwind and, and how you might do things with that, but also like some of the theory behind, you know, colors is the the one and colors and white space are the ones that really yeah, yeah. stuck out to me. And it was really helpful because like, that's the thing, uh, kind of like I said, going into CSS, it's like, I could do anything. I could have, you know, 40 pixels of white space over here and 27 over here and no real random yeah, reason yeah, for that. Yeah. Uh, but this kind of helps me understand the theory of it. And then yeah. Tailwind kind of helps you stay consistent within that. So yeah. through that, that book and that open source work, um, you know, your, your content is really content to let me shine and that's your way. That's awesome. Thanks, man. I really <laughs> appreciate that. It's a really good example of, you know, a sustainable open source, you know, that works. There's like a lot of reasons why like open source struggles to, to get funding. And that's something I'm really interested in. You know, you check a lot of the boxes that I think make it a little bit easier to build a business on top of yeah. uh, what you're doing because you have an end user facing uh, project. So people actually know that they're using Tailwind because they, they chose to use it or someone on their team yep. chose to use it. Right. So a lot of open source is like a dependency that's somewhere deep in the tree and no one even knows that mm-hmm. it exists. It's only really like the leaves of the tree that can really have the chance to even be successful in that regard. You know, if you're not building like the framework that people are using, right. then it's hard. Like like even like post CSS as a tool is going to struggle to be funded mm-hmm. compared to us, even though we're built like directly on top of that, you know? Totally. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's kind of like on a movie set, like the person who's in front of the camera is the one who gets all the money and all the stardom. And then like everybody else, like maybe you're a grip. Okay, that's a, not like a thing you go to school for. Maybe you're like a, a cinematographer and no one's ever going to know unless you watch the end credits, like who was a cinematographer. Now, at a certain point, those are so famous that people start to learn them. But the the, the analogy, I think, holds to a certain degree. It's kind of like a rich get richer thing or it's kind of, not really that, but it's kind of like certain projects just lend themselves to this success and the other ones don't just by the nature of the thing they are. And there's even projects that are like user facing, like things you work with day to day that are still 
not obviously commercializable, you know, like, um, even like Vue.js, like Evan gets to work full-time on Vue.js, but not because he has like some magical model model in terms of some service that he sells or anything like that. Like he's does really well through like Patreon stuff. And, but even then the Patreon stuff is people like companies who want to like advertise on the Vue.js docs, essentially, like that's where the, the very bulk of all that comes from. So really he's in like the advertising business essentially, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's lots of other tools that are things people interact with directly day to day that, that still haven't had success there. So that's eh, tough. The whole open source funding problem is like very, very real for sure. And I'm, ha- I'm, you know, we're lucky to be in the spot that, that we're in where we're working on like the exact right type of tool where there's like a lot of history of people paying for things like this already. But that's just because of the nature of the tool, you know, not because we've figured out anything <laughs> that anyone else uh, is trying to figure out. Well, yeah, that's really great, though. It's good to have an example of, of someone making it. It's also a clear separation of concerns, or at least the the product versus the open source free stuff is very clear. Mm. It's like, this is the framework to build things. And then, by the way, if you want some pre-built things, here they are, right? Like, that's your delineation, right? It's like, here's the widgets to one UI. Yeah. And then you can build your own widgets, of course. But, like, yep. a lot of us aren't very good at building those widgets. Going back to, like, the struggles with CSS, it's actually our design skills that are yeah. that need help and so you're actually helping yeah. us with don't give me a blank canvas and a tool to paint right like give me a paint by numbers or give me the numbers mm-hmm. that are already the form i can just put things into i'm willing to pay for that because Some constraints yeah exactly yeah at the end of the day we're definitely like selling design more than anything else uh which i think yeah like we've kind of been talking about lots of precedent for that and um also just like a pretty in demand kind of skill right so um, yeah, it's been, it's been nice to be able to tie those two things together to have like a design co-founder, you know, <laughs> so that we able, we're able to even do that because, uh, not every open source tool has on staff designer, you know? <laughs> so are there other people building competitors to your business side? I don't want to say like competitors, but like, are there other widget libraries? Are there other UIs where you can say it's tailwind based, but here's our philosophy or we're doing this so that there's selection or do you have to, is it build all your own stuff or use Tailwind UI? Yeah, there's definitely other stuff out there. You know, there are people who sell like Tailwind UI kits or Tailwind themes um, and stuff like that. And uh, I, that's totally cool. You know, I think uh, I'm happy to see like other people doing stuff like that and for there to be other things um, existing for sure. We're, we're like, Obviously, there's always like a, some stress and pressure around the fact that like we have to like build the building blocks and the commercial stuff. And then people who compete with us only have they get to like take advantage of all the work that we're doing on Tailwind without having to maintain it or invent it or <laughs> come up with the new features. Right. Uh, they can just focus on like the commercial side of things. But fortunately, we've been able to create like a similar sort of structure just internally. You know, but having like people who spend their time on the open source stuff and then people who spend their time on the commercial stuff. So, you know, I don't really see it as a disadvantage uh, anymore. It used to stress me out more when we had fewer people and had less resources, you know, and I would spend like two months developing a bunch of Tailwind CSS features, which was two months that I couldn't work on the commercial side of things. But now I think, um, you know, it's working out well. And and uh, thankfully, like just like, being able to call our stuff like the official stuff is like a, a huge advantage, of course. Um, so fingers crossed that, uh, you know, no one ever eats our lunch c- completely, but, uh, <laughs> for now it's, it's working out well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been good that we can kind of do both. It's a benefit. They're always walking a step behind. That's right. Until AWS comes out with tailwind widgets <laughs> as a service. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Except no one will be able to figure out how to use those ones. How to even like log it. You got to create the the IM user to be able to find the right uh, (laughs) table or whatever. uh. Right. But I mean, even if they're commercially successful, they're they're still building their business on top of Tailwind. So you're really the one with all the glory. In a way, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, as long as our business is still doing well, like I'm okay with that. Um, But yeah, it's true. Like it's good... uh, I like to see like people doing anything with the the tool, right? I think the right attitude to have for sure is to 
be like enthusiastic about what other people in the in the community are doing especially as long as like you're putting food on the table you know what i mean i could see how it could get stressful otherwise but uh right now it's uh we're not struggling in that way so it's easy to be uh supportive and enthusiastic about this cool stuff that other people are doing like a friend of mine yesterday just released like this chrome extension i think it's actually for firefox too called windy that lets you like basically hover over like any like dom element and it'll read all the css for that and all its children and reconstruct like the html and try to recreate it with pure tailwind classes um so you can copy like any piece of any website as tailwind like Obviously, it's not going to be totally 100% bulletproof, but it's surprisingly right. good. So even like, you know, something has like a padding left of 13 pixels, Windy will figure out what's the closest value that exists in Tailwind and sort of round it to that. Same with like font sizes and colors and stuff like that. So yeah, people are doing all sorts of cool stuff. It's really crazy to have built something that has people even uh, excited enough about it to invest time into like creating crazy tools like that. So. It's what happens while you're the one with all the strength in the CSS (laughs) realm. That's right. What up, friends? You might not be aware, but we've been partnered with Linode since 2016. That's a long time ago. Way back when we first launched our open source platform that you now see at changelaw.com, Linode was there to help us, and we are so grateful. Fast forward several years now, and Linode is still in our corner, behind the scenes helping us to ensure we're running on the very best cloud infrastructure out there. We trust Linode. They keep it fast, and they keep it simple. Get $100 in free credit at linode.com slash changelog. Again, $100 in free credit at linode.com slash changelog. Adam, I'm so glad we have you here. For a long time, I just heard about Tailwind and it was merely a beautiful face without a name for so long. But you know, now we can actually ask you all of our questions about the nitty gritty. So let's get into it. So maybe we could start with uh, talking about the editor integrations. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so we have like an official VS Code plugin that was actually like developed by Brad, who works with us before he worked with us. And that's kind of how I got to know him and uh, why we hired him. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Like it'll, uh, let me think of all the cool stuff it does. It does like linting. So it can tell you like pretty interesting things. Like one of the things that trips people up sometimes with Tailwind is like adding two classes to an element that are kind of competing with each other. So like PT5 and PT8, you know, like which one of those is actually going to take effect? Is it going to be five or eight? Um, You shouldn't really put both those on an element. So it can like, underline those and say hey it looks like you have like two conflicting css classes or um gives you autocomplete for everything that's like really intelligent autocomplete which is great because there's about six thousand million classes to remember it can do cool stuff like adds like a little color swatch in front of utility classes that are like color related so you can like pick them out more quickly gives you autocomplete for like some of the CSS based functionality that we have, like that add apply rule, or we have like some functions for referencing values from like your tailwind theme and stuff like that. So that's kind of what that does. And I know that uh, JetBrains just added like official, well, like first class tailwind CSS support to their IDEs too. Uh, but I haven't tried it yet because I don't actually use like WebStorm or PHP Storm or anything. But from what I've heard from people who do, they're pretty excited about it. So those are the only two that I know of so far. I can throw in one. Uh, the yeah. one I'm using is COC Tailwind IntelliSense, which is a plugin for COC, which is a plugin for NeoVim. And so nice. I get IntelliSense in NeoVim with that. And it's it's wonderful because, you know, that IntelliSense is just a, a beautiful smile to hide the pain of having to remember all of those classes. Yeah. Does that use like a language server to do all yeah. that stuff? So I think is so. it using like the same one that we built for the VS Code one, I wonder? It'd be cool if it was. I would assume so, just based on the other COC plugins. Like that's how they mm-hmm. they all work. 
That's cool. Nick, you go through such crazy constraints to get your Vim set up going. Like you'll do anything to get it somehow into <laughs> That's Vim. That's true. Yeah. That is what all Vim users are like, man. Vim at all costs. That's like, right. That is like that. <laughs> a plugin to run a plugin that is forked off of a VS Code plugin, yeah. which is u- used in a... Yeah. And you didn't mention that NeoVim is, is like a variant of Vim, which is a variant of VI. Right. So like there's so many layers here. <laughs> There's EX in there somewhere. Nick, I know I pick on you a lot for this Vim stuff, but did you ever know that you're my hero? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I can't believe what you do to get your Vim setup working. It's, it's heroic. <laughs> One day we're going to have like Chromium windows in like Vim dropdowns just to be able to like do the stuff people need to be able to do. And, and we're, everyone's just going to forget that like the reason they use Vim is because it's supposed to be fast with low memory usage and really it's just because they hate arrow keys i guess um but yeah i actually gave up on vim because i it slowed down so much i was like if it's going to be slow then i might as well use something mm-hmm. that's slow that i like a little bit more i didn't give up on it i still use it but you know what i mean as my daily code editor yeah all my plugins slowed down i can't believe uh, nick that yours is still fast with how much junk you shove into your vim <laughs> how is it fast plugins plus 14 clc plugins yeah it's oh my it's God. still fast though <laughs> It's wow. everything I would like it to be. <laughs> nice. Must be run on that M1 chip or something. Yeah. Soon. Having the editor integration sounds like it, it could be a game changer for for using something like this. I use Tachyons, which is kind of similar to to Tailwind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier. Yeah. And you you basically can't use it, especially when you're learning, unless you have like the the tab open to the do- official docs at all times, and you're always co- yeah. com- command fing and searching. You know, finding like the class to use for the CSS that you would like to write, and so. Having that just built yeah. in directly seems like a real game changer. Yeah, it's definitely helpful for learning it. We also put out this like online Tailwind playground a couple months ago, which is at like play.tailwindcss.com, which is kind of like a code pen specifically for Tailwind that has all the mm-hmm. same um, IDE integration stuff built right into it in the browser, but it actually works even better than the one in VS Code because we just have more control over it. So, and the main reason that works better is because we have like the live preview and they can kind of talk to each other. So one of the cool things that you can do in the uh, playground is when like the autocomplete pops up to show you like all the classes that it's suggesting based on what you've typed. So maybe you type like BG dash red dash. It's going to suggest like red 50, red 100, red 200, whatever. As you hit like up and down between all those options, the live preview will actually like update immediately without even having to like hit enter to select a color. So you can like design in the browser just by like hitting up and down between the different options and seeing things like preview instantly. Yeah, that's become like a pretty cool way for people to learn too. One of the projects that I want to tackle soon is... um building like like the way the playground works there's like a share button that just creates like a permalink to whatever like that instance is mm-hmm. i want to build like a series of those that like link to each other that are almost like an interactive tailwind tutorial that just like without having to build our own custom tutorial thing because all it is is a series of like playgrounds you know what i mean um i think that would be kind of cool to be able to have a link where you could just go somewhere and there's a link right in there to go to the next one after it's you've kind of read and tinkered with whatever the example is and stuff like that and i think that'd be kind of fun yeah i I use it actually as a in a very similar way to the way i use the typescript playground which is like to demo out things and and share with teammates you know how to do this with typescript i do that with tailwind as well and it's it's really nice for that yeah it's been so helpful for us for um troubleshooting things for people Mm -hmm. in like our discord and stuff before it used to be like send us a link to a code sandbox or something and it's kind of hard to set up because there's like a build time thing with tailwind especially if like someone's having an issue with like some custom configuration like you need to be able to recreate that so all that stuff works in our playground so someone can just send us a quick link and we can figure it out right there so that's made uh customer support way easier so it's been definitely worth it do you advocate for people to like learn Tailwind and use Tailwind kind of forever? Or is there like a educational graduation where like at a certain point you won't need it anymore? Or is it supposed to be like, mm-hmm. it is a utility framework. So like even as a expert carpenter, I still use my utilities. Like, is that more like that? Like what would you think? Would people eventually be like, I used to use Tailwind, but then I learned how it worked. And now I have my own little thing that I use that's lighter or better or customized. What do you think on that? I mean, I'm obviously biased, but like, sure. But like, what would you think? Yeah, my personal stance is like, 
to me, it feels like I finally like have a unified theory of CSS <laughs> for uh, my okay. own projects. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I tried every approach under the sun and you can find articles I've written on the internet that I completely disagree with now <laughs> from <laughs> like when I used to recommend doing things differently. And now it feels like a solved problem to me. Like it doesn't feel like something I think about. It's like when you find that like one brand of jeans or whatever, that's like, okay, this, that's it. Now, like that question of like, what jeans should I own is now no longer in my head. You know, <laughs> like I know what ones I'm supposed to buy. Like that's solved. Done with that decision. Yeah. You know? Or like toothpaste or deodorant or something, you know, it's right. like, no, this is the one that I get. Like that doesn't occupy any space in my mind anymore. Um, so I don't know that there's obviously like alternate approaches and stuff that have merit, especially like, I think like CSS and JS is super interesting if you're building apps where you can use that approach. And I think people are kind of still figuring out like the best version of that, you know, but there's lots of benefits to it and interesting things you can do there, but not everyone is building like a react SPA. So not everyone can really use that stuff. Tailwind I think is like a really great trade off from my perspective of like, Something that kind of scales well is fast to learn and lets you kind of make local changes like really easily, um, has lots and lots of flexibility and customization stuff, but like works everywhere, you know, works mm-hmm. on a WordPress theme or works in a React app. It's it's just CSS at the end of the day, right? Which is always going to work. Yeah, I think personally, I, I don't expect, I, I don't think there's like this natural path of outgrowing it anyways because to me the biggest benefit is that i don't have to write css in the same way anymore like you don't spend time thinking of stupid class names for things you just like put an existing class on something and you're done you know Mm -hmm. i think that's like the biggest benefit to it that people don't they don't understand how big of a benefit it's going to be until they actually experience it is that you're not jumping to the CSS file and think, or, well, usually the workflow would be you're in your HTML file, right? And you're like, okay, I created this div. I created this other div. Well, I got to style this div. So I guess I need like some sort of identifier to slap on it so that I can like select that identifier in my CSS. So what am I going to call it? Well, I guess it's on the profile page and kind of is the thing that the avatar is inside of. Um, So is it like profile page avatar wrapper? Uh, Okay, I guess, you know, like it's so slow compared to just like, well, I know I need to make this display flex and align item center. So flex item center, moving on to the next problem. You might've just answered that, but do you ever find yourself going in there into CSS and writing classes using the apply? Or do you consider that more of like a code smell or... There's only a couple situations I'll do it. One is for like typography content stuff. So say you have like you're working on a blog and all your blog content comes from Markdown. Obviously, you can't like go and litter your Markdown with all these utility classes. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to like target it from like a higher level. So I'll always create some sort of class like that. And we released a Tailwind plugin that kind of gives you some sensible defaults to this. It gives you like this prose class. So you just slap like prose on like whatever div has like the markdown rendered content. And it's just like going to look pretty good. Um, so that's a situation where I, I would have written custom CSS and still sometimes do. And then the only other time I really do it is um, when I find like that I'm missing a feature in Tailwind. So like the other day I was like rebuilding the allbirds.com website on a live stream. And they had this like horizontal scrolling nav bar by default, like the scroll bar is visible in this thing that's like 15 pixels high. And that just like looks awful. So in theirs, they hide the scroll bars and we don't have utilities in Tailwind for hiding the scroll bar. So my approach is always like, okay, well, I need to hide the scroll bars. I'm not going to go create a CSS class for like nav bar and add like the scroll bar CSS there. I'm going to figure out what feature do I wish Tailwind had already, which is like some sort of class for hiding scroll bars, like very, you know, evil, unsemantic class name, (laughs) you know? So whenever I end up writing custom CSS, a lot of the time it's more from that perspective. It's like kind of extending Tailwind with Tailwindy type of things, not just like writing custom kind of project specific CSS. It's like surprisingly rare how often I need to write custom CSS for things. Like I'll reach for JavaScript before I'll reach for custom CSS uh, a lot of the time, just because it's like, I want to avoid opening that like Pandora's box of like, now there is custom CSS in this project. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, 
I just want to resist that as long as possible. Like I'm already writing HTML, no matter what a website cannot exist without HTML. So like that is foregone, you know, I must write HTML, but do I need to write CSS? I don't know. Like if I don't have to, Mm -hmm. but I do have to write HTML, then maybe I can just do it all there. You know? Yeah. That really makes me feel like this project is making it so that I don't have to write a whole lot of custom CSS. And when I see that, uh, it makes me take notice. Like if I'm in a code review, like I really scrutinize why custom CSS is showing up in here because it seems like I might be able to do almost everything with with Tailwind or, you know, if you're trying to to repeat things like that, it, you know, I might have like a custom button style where I might just add apply that in a custom class and then have like a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That That's another like valid situation for sure, like extracting some repetition. But I think yeah. you have to be careful like not to extract stuff that would be better extracted into like a view component or a react component or even like a twig partial or something. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I find as soon as there's like more than one HTML element involved that like a CSS class is usually not the right place to try and remove that duplication because now, yeah, you might have like created a card class and a card header and like a card body or whatever, but you still have to repeat that HTML structure from memory every single time you want to create a card. So you haven't actually like extracted all the duplication. Whereas if you can extract that into something that holds the HTML structure and the styles together, now there's like a single source of truth for both of those things. Whereas just using CSS, all you've done is created a single source of truth for the styles. And I find like styles and markup structure are as much as people like want to pretend that they're not like linked, they're pretty linked, you know? Yeah. CSS Zen garden, I think has demonstrated that you can do crazy things without changing the, uh, the HTML structure, but I'm not sure that, uh, that's actually the way like teams really want to work most of the time. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's like a code golf problem. You know what I mean? Like CSS Zen garden is the thing that you should do. That's crazy. Like that's the one time that you would want to do that is if you create a CSS Zen garden, you know? Exactly. Like that's how I see it. I I see it as like, it's like a challenge, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, how how can I get from this side of the room to the other side of the room without touching the floor? You know, like (laughs) it's like, it's a fun challenge, I think, but I don't know that it's should be like the default way that we actually try to, to write things. I always make this joke, like with CSS Zen garden, you know, it's a, obviously it's like a cool project and a really cool demo of like what's possible, like definitely not slagging on it in any way. Yeah. But no. um, people always say like, look, look how like different you can make this site look without changing the HTML just by changing the style sheet. It's like, man, you should see how different I can make a site look by just changing the HTML and not changing the CSS file at all. You know what I mean? I can like, right. <laughs> Yeah, with Tailwind, I will give you one style sheet that you can use to build 50 different sites but where all you did was change the HTML. You never touched the CSS and none of the content is the same somehow and none of the layout is the same. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, um, so. So one of the things that happens with CSS, we didn't bring it up at the top, but like you, it seems only additive. This is one of the problems that we have is like deleting CSS yeah. rarely yeah. happens, especially in teams because you don't know what's being used and stuff. And surely a tailwind solves that problem, right? Because you're not writing a whole bunch of CSS, you're reusing the same stuff. And this may sound facetious, but like take it seriously, you are adding tons of HTML classes, like in your HTML. And I wonder like at a practical level on a large site, do you get HTML bloat or is it just like, is it nominal and you shouldn't worry about it? You know, because eventually you have large HTML pages with a bunch of classes. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think... um the first person I saw like talk about this was Nicholas Gallagher, who was the guy who created like Normalize, um, who used to work at Twitter, I think works at Instagram now. He has this blog post called like About HTML Semantics and Front End Architecture, where he talks about this problem a little bit. And he did some tests where he took like uh, an HTML file with tons and tons of classes in it, and then the same HTML file with all the classes removed, and just like compared the size after like HTTP compression, mm-hmm. and it just in his tests, it just like wasn't enough um, to be Move the significant, you know, and I haven't done like tests myself to find out. It would be interesting to like, to really have like something measured where you could say like, yep, this is a problem because it's so much extra stuff in the DOM and it's slower or whatever. But, um, right. I've never noticed that being a problem, you know, and the payload still seem to be pretty small, but it's a valid concern, you know, like CSS is cacheable from request to request, whereas right. the HTML is not. So I haven't 
noticed it being like a bottleneck enough to care about it. You know what I mean? But it would be interesting to really get full scientists on it and, <laughs> you know, prove it. Come up with yeah. some, yeah, real serious conclusions. Frost, you've been quiet. Anything kicking around in your head over there? I was wondering how using Tailwind would affect sort of a CSS performance in terms of when you're when you're trying to inline all the critical styles at the top of the page. Um, you have to figure out basically which classes are used in the HTML and just inline that portion of the Tailwind CSS file. Um, and then you put that like in, in line in a style tag, I guess. Um, that's like sort of the best practice for, for like mm-hmm. making that first page load really, really fast because you, then you don't have to sort of go out to the network and wait for that CSS file to come back before the page can be, can be drawn. Yeah, I, I know there's definitely some people who are doing that stuff with Tailwind. I haven't actually ever done that on any of my own sites, like done the critical CSS thing. But I know there's this guy, Andrew, that's uh, in the Tailwind community that's like super into that sort of thing. And he's shared solutions for that before. I, I don't think it's like particularly different than the way that you do it with like any CSS. Like at the end of the day, it, what you get from Tailwind is still just a, a regular CSS file. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know enough about like the how some of those solutions work because I think the challenges would be the same. Like one of the challenges, I guess this wouldn't actually be a real issue in practice. Cause like, I guess what you do, right. Is you inline all the critical CSS and then you put like the actual CSS file, like after the critical CSS so that like it overrides all those same declarations and maintains like the same CSS order since like the class order is sort of important for specificity stuff, but the same tools should, should work. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure what the most popular tools are for that. Like, I think there is a tool called like critical CSS or something. How do you do it for us? Yeah. There's one that I've used before on BitMidi. I think it's called purge CSS. Yeah. Purge CSS is a little different. It, It like crawls your component files or your template files, depending on what you use. And it looks for stuff that looks like, uh, Basically, any string, it just looks for, it just sort of runs uh, strings on the file, figures out all these strings, mm-hmm. and then it's like, if any of these match a class uh, that's in the CSS file, then we'll keep that class because it's pr- it may be used, and it's obviously not perfect, but it errs on the side of like uh, yeah. being conservative, and so you'll end up with all the all the possible classes in that file will be in the... A couple of false positives, yeah, but... exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, purge CSS, I think maybe I misunderstood what you were asking. Um, we purchase this as like a requirement to use tailwind at this point, because like the number of combinations of classes that we generate for different colors and breakpoints and hover states and focus states and stuff like the default tailwind build is huge. It's like three megs or something in mm-hmm. development. So we have like purchase S is like integrated into tailwind. Now we expose like simpler API on top of it. That is sort of like tailwind aware. So we can like intelligently purge stuff that's safe to purge, but keep stuff that's not safe to purge. So a problem people run into with purge, if they're just using it manually, for example, is maybe using a library like flat picker or pick a day or something that includes a bunch of CSS in your node modules folder somewhere, or it includes like its own templating stuff deep in like your node modules folder. And you forget to sort of tell purge to scan that particular folder to find usages of classes, it'll accidentally rip out all those classes. So our integration, like make sure it only is purging like stuff that Tailwind generates. So any custom CSS is always kept just to be as like safe as possible. But yeah, so that's like built right into Tailwind. Now all you have to do is provide like a array of paths to your templates, which is like just like a glob syntax, you know? So for like Next.js, it's like dot slash pages slash star star slash star dot JS sort of thing. And in production, it'll strip everything out uh, automatically. So when you do that, most sites will be like, after like broadly compression, like four to five kilobytes of CSS instead of like three megs of CSS, which is pretty wild. Like even the Tailwind website, which I think it's got to be the biggest production Tailwind CSS file, just because how could it not be? Because the whole point of the website is to demo the framework, right? Even that is like, let's see, it's 24 kilobytes compressed. And that demos like every feature in Tailwind is demoed, you know what I mean? But not every single class is demoed because you don't need to use every single class to demonstrate each feature. Like I don't have to show you that, uh, you know, M- I don't have to show you how 
margin left two works on every single breakpoint for you to understand how it works. You know what I mean? So there's lots of stuff that we can strip out. What's a typical site then? If that's like all the kitchen sink, would you say like 10 kilobytes or what? Less than 10 for sure. Less than 10. Trying to think of like a good one to look at that's uh, that I know is pure tailwind because lots of people still end up writing custom CSS. Firefox send used to be like my go-to one, but they like shut that service they down. Did. So that was sad. Uh, and now it doesn't even have like a placeholder page. It just links like the Mozilla homepage. So, you know, it's sad. That was a service. I never used it, but the fact that it existed, I respected that. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> cool. Do you guys know, um, something I can actually do that most other people can't do is that I can fly higher than an Eagle. Wow. Well, I mean, you're really uh, making your game <laughs> <you> respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> so Adam broke the show. I think probably that's a good point to end on. I will thank you for uh, putting Tailwind out in the world. We're super excited that you're having so much success, you know, especially with building the business around it because uh, not everybody can do that in open source. And every time we see it, we celebrate it because that means you can sustainably, reliably, you know, go forward and create more open source goodness for all of us to build upon. And that's awesome. So we are uh, thankful for Tailwind. We're thankful for you coming on the show, putting up with us. And uh, thank you for putting the Tailwind beneath our wings. Adam. That's <laughs> our show for this week. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with us, listeners. Thanks uh, for Ross for joining us. Nick was also here. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. It's December, which means you're probably dusting off the old blog to write your best of 2020 post. It's been a rough year, but we hope JS Party has been a bright spot for you throughout. If so, we would love to be included in your 2020 favorites. Let us know when you publish. We'll share it around our circles. And if you love what we're up to, help us help you by joining ChangeLog++. It's our membership program so you can directly support our work and make the ads disappear. Check it out at changelog.com slash plus plus. Thanks again to Breakmaster Cylinder for the beats and our sponsors for having our back, Fastly, Linode, and LaunchDarkly. That's our show. Shout out to Bette Midler for inspiring the ridiculous idea on display and the K-Ball for dreaming it up. Stay tuned for the next one. We are turning the spotlight inward as Amel and Divya interview our very own Chris Hiller about Mocha.js and maintaining open source JavaScript projects. That'll be hitting your feed next week. Clap your hands, everybody, if you got what it takes. Because I'm Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the boys. So, Adam, I don't know if you can tell, but I've been trying to... I've been saying weird, random things. Like, <laughs> it must be cold there in my shadow. I'm trying to work in the lyrics to Wind Beneath My Wings while we talk to this. <laughs> so if you hear me going on. I've not put that together. I but, didn't uh, think you were anywhere near Because the latency kills the vibe. But yeah, like, now yeah. it just seems like you're a weirdo, Nick. I'm like, I don't know if we can go the whole episode. <laughs> like, since we're on the break, this part will be, you know, not on the show. But we want to put together an Easter egg because we want to call this the tailwind beneath our, your wings is the name of this episode. Okay. And uh, we we're hoping that Nick could somehow say each Nick and me. I'm not. I'm kind of backing yeah. out, but I'll do it with Nick. We're just hoping we can utter each each line, each lyric throughout the show. Sounds good. So if we say things in roundabout ways, or uh, you're kind of wondering like, <laughs> what the heck is that guy talking about? Just uh, play it cool. And, uh, You're right, I will. It will work out in the end. I was wondering what Nick was doing there. I thought that was like more poetic than it needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> we should take a break right now. <laughs> I, I have a feeling we're just ta- we're just we're just tanking this show. <laughs> Adam's over here like, why am I on this show? These guys just keep saying the weirdest stuff to me. This is good. Can it be auto? I feel like it's only gonna get worse from here too like, <laughs> it, it, <laughs> some of these are really hard to say especially uh, once you get close to the end where you have to just like repeat things yeah right? that's well i think we're just gonna go up to the first uh for you are the wind beneath my wings it's probably what we're, we're, what we're trying to get to which is gonna be a struggle because we're in our last segment already but like some of these I, 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 we're like 40 percent of the way there yeah but a beautiful face without a name for so long i mean how does that make any sense and let's like go back to like your origin story. You're like, so back when Tailwind was, oh, maybe I can do that. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, where should we go from here? What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I will talk about whatever you want. Okay. What about uh, 1980s era hit pop songs? Yeah, we can talk about that. <laughs> let's, let's keep it subtle, though. Let's keep yeah. it subtle. <laughs> we'll do our best. All right. Nick, you got a game plan for this uh, this next one? <laughs> this is like the hardest one. I know. You could say, like, uh, I'm so glad we're having this conversation. You know, I only had heard about Tailwind before. It was merely a beautiful face without a name for so long. But now. Oh, that sounds great, Frost. Okay. Yep. You're on it. No, but- oh, God. <laughs> I don't want to say this line. No, but. <laughs> oh, this is going to be the best breaks uh, episode ever for our, for our right, post show. Right. You don't want to say, say that line? I'll, it was I'll so good. It. The way you did it was perfect. All right, I'll okay. Say it. Do you want to open the segment with it? Now it's going to be forced, though, and it's going to be like 150% more awkward. It is. <laughs> like, I might have to turn off my camera for a second <laughs> so I can listen to it. All right, all right. Okay, go. Well, I'm so glad we have you here uh, because for a long time I just heard about. No, no, no it's terrible. It's terrible. Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Take two.